This is the Douglas Robin Show. Welcome, welcome. Today, uh, I'm very excited to have this guest on today. It's a really a fascinating topic that affects all of us. Uh, today, we have Doug, Dr. Douglas Garland, who for many years was an orthopedic surgeon, but then something happened in his career and his life that someone essentially tried to cut him down. And he, had, he has written a book called The Tall Poppy Syndrome, The Joy of Cutting Others Down. Now, this has been a phenomenon that has been going on for centuries since antiquity. Um, so, Douglas, welcome, sir. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be with you. So, you you, you know, in your uh, professional career, you experienced this, and then you went on this 10-year journey that brought you back to ancient, G uh, ancient Greece and Australia. And it's a phenomenon known throughout the world as the tall poppy syndrome of cutting people down who are essentially, essentially standing above the rest. That's can you, well, yeah. that's essentially the concept, but it's not known the world around as the tall poppy syndrome. Different cultures have different names and a little different twist to it. But the basic principle of cutting somebody down who's taller than you or has more qualities than you, I trace clear back to ancient Greece, which is actually at that time, the description was cutting down the heads of wheat. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't until Rome, uh, Livy in Rome described the actual tall poppy syndrome itself. But for example, uh, Japan has a saying, the tall nail gets pounded down. Uh, Holland is the tall wind captures all the, or the tall tree captures all the wind. Hmm. So, so, so there's variations of, of the tall poppy syndrome, which the metaphor means looking at a field of poppies and seeing one taller than the rest and wanting to cut that poppy down. So I, um, I traced it back all the way to ancient Greece. And when you think about it, really, Socrates was tall poppy. I mean, he drank the hemlock, but he drank it uh, willingly to essentially kill himself so that he wouldn't con continue to have discussions and disrupt uh, society. Wait, say that part again? Well, the original description, both in uh, Greece and Rome was that of, of governing. The governance was uh, we're having difficulty governing and how should we govern? How, what's the secret to governing? And the governing, uh, then the secret sauce was to disparage or actually kill the opposing party. So that actually happened to Socrates. Now, that's why he drank, drank the hemlock, actually. Rather than to continue the turmoil he was creating with his teachings, um, he decided to drink hemlock. And, of course, Caesar was tall poppy, too, he, for a similar reason. I mean, he crossed the Rubicon. Uh, he came back from Gaul and had his troops with him. He was the most powerful man in the world. And, of course, the law in Rome at that time was the Senate had said, if you, you can't cross the Rubicon with your troops, you have to leave them there. Because they knew if any general came back to Rome with troops that they could overthrow the Senate. 
Hmm. So Caesar actually did that. That's what uh, a crossing the Rubicon moment means is that you make this major decision in your life. So he decided that he was better for Rome with him and without his troops and without and made the conscious decision to cross the Rubicon. Of course, he threw Rome into civil war and the end of it was, of course, was he was cut down literally and figuratively. This is so fascinating to me, this this idea of the tall poppy, because we've all experienced it. Uh, and at the same time, we've all felt it. That person is doing better than me, that en envy or, or jealousy. Can you explain, before we get further, the difference between envy and jealousy? Yeah, that's a very good point that needs clarification. The, the country and probably the world is confused between these two emotions and they're completely, the concept is completely different, although jealousy can also cause the tall poppy syndrome. But envy, uh, Aristotle actually broke envy down into good and bad envy. And today many psychologists use the positive and negative and and say, you know, there is good and bad in, in most emotions. There's a good side and a bad side. So good envy is looking at your neighbor and seeing pride of ownership in his house or his car, and you want to emulate him. And so you try and improve yourself. Now that concept gets lost in religion. I mean, there's two commandments, right? You can't covet your neighbor's goods or your wife. That's bad envy. So the bad envy is actually then disparaging that person or actively say they have a portion, you kid, or jab the tires. So you're actually physically trying to cut them down. And number two, an important part of bad envy is just destroying their, their happiness. You're not happy. You have low self-esteem and you don't want your neighbor to be happy either. So you actually try and destroy them, which is the tall poppy syndrome. And bad envy is the number one driver in the cutter. So the whole complex is uh, driven by emotions, both on the cutter and on the tall poppy side. But to finish it off then, so envy, two components, there's a good component, which is what you should try. I want to be like Mike, like everybody mm -hmm. used to say about Michael Jordan. I want right. to be like Mike uh, rather than, um, oh, he's a ball hog and he shoots too much. So that's the separation. And it's coveting something that somebody else has. Now, jealousy is actually you have something and you're losing it. So you have your, your significant other and somebody who maybe has better traits than you are taking that person away from you and you're jealous of that person. But you already, they have uh, nothing that you necessarily want, but you're losing something. So there's a big difference. It's, the emotions are very complicated. They spill into each other. Envy is often found within jealousy and I think that's why, because the, the, in the jealous person, he's, he is envious to a certain extent of that other person that he's losing the significant other to, 
But the big thing is, is that he has something and he's losing it. And that's a different concept than envy, which is you don't have something and you want it. But both can be components of the tall poppy syndrome. But the most common emotion day in and day out, I see it daily as I scan the papers, which I do, is bad envy uh, on the cutter's part in wanting to destroy a tall poppy or destroy their happiness. Now, Doug, before you go further, is are you on a mic? I'm hearing a little crackling sound. Well, it just happened. I don't know what happened. I just changed my phone. Is that better? Um, my crack I had, well, there it started. My cracking had gone away. So I'm moving around a little bit. Are we better now? Uh, I about the same. About the same. Um, it just started. Oh, there you go. That's better. Uh, can we continue? Are we okay? Yeah. Yep, we're good now. All right, let's, I want to ask you another question. Okay. The tall poppy seed is how we all move forward, right? Because if everyone just remains... I hear a lot of crackling on when I'm speaking. Um, so it seems the tall poppy seed is the one who moves the needle forward. That's a very good point, and that's the, the most common question I get. But if you don't have tall poppies, society can't move forward. So they're absolutely necessary. And even in the book that I wrote, I dedicated the book to my poor grandkids because I want them to be tall poppies. So I'll kind of go into the actual breakup, how I broke the tall poppy syndrome up. It's, I broke it into two categories, peer-to-peer, -peer, which is within your own tribe. And that is usually driven by bad envy, anger, and to a certain extent, laziness. And the public system, which we'll talk about in a second, is driven by, that's the actual tall poppy. And they have either undergone excessive pride, which is hubris, lust, or greed. And so it's their egregious behavior that the public feels they should be cut down. They've become too big for their britches. They don't, they don't, they aren't justified in having that tall poppy status. So the peer-to-peer -peer is the most important part because that affects us as individuals. And think about it, it begins in your family. Your parents try and keep everybody the same. They don't want to favor one child over the second. And of course, if we look in the Bible, we see right out the gate, Cain and Abel. So Cain would eventually kill Abel because of familial envy. And as soon as you start to school, the same mechanism is kicked in. Teachers, uh, not when I went to school 100 years ago, but I went to school in the 50s when we were during the space race and everything was about tall poppy and you got to do this, you got to do that to help America. We have to get ahead because at that time we were behind. Very similar situation actually with China now, incidentally. But anyway, uh, at that time they, were, they encouraged tall poppies. Now, you know, 
the schools, everybody gets a trophy, everybody's equal. A lot of schools don't have valedictorians now. So the school system also tries to keep everybody equal. And then of course, it used to be an American business world in any, in, that it was a meritocracy. And the best, the better you perform, the more likely you are gonna climb the ladder of success. And of course, that's all now changed also to equity and inclusion and checking all the boxes. So boxes have become more important than, than merit. So we have it beginning in our family. We have it in our school system. We have it in the hierarchies of our society in our businesses, but that's all within your circle of friends with the people you associate with. And that is a different concept from the public. And it's usually those three emotions that, that are driving the syndrome and the peer-to-peer. -peer. Uh, and that's separate then from, let's take Will Smith and Chris Rock. That's a very public tall poppy syndrome. And, you know, Will Smith obviously had a lot of pride, hubris, or he wouldn't have felt that he had the ability to pull that act off in front of a world. And he also had some anger at that time. And he literally and figuratively tried to cut Chris Rock down. So that's the, that's the public tall poppy syndrome and that's driven by different emotions it's usually bad behavior on the tall poppy side and as you know after that occurred then people took sides of, of whether chris rock was right or or will smith was correct you know people started making judgments and it's within that judgment system that we decide whether a tall poppy should remain a tall poppy or should be cut down. Unfortunately, that judgment system is controlled by our own biases. And frequently, if you have low self-esteem, uh, you're gonna fall back to your default of envy. And envy is always on, I feel it's the most important, not the most important, but it's the most prevalent emotion that's always on. I mean, as soon as I saw you uh, this morning, I, I looked at you, you know, I. I didn't form so much of opinion because I'm now I've learned how to control all that. But as soon as we meet somebody, you know, the emotions on it's subconscious, but we're making decisions on people just by looking at them. And unfortunately, our politics and our government have only accelerated that process. So as you know, Martin Luther King wanted us to judge on the, the content. And we, we've moved so far away from that now that when we just look at somebody, our biases kicked in and our bad envy and we're making bad judgments on people even before they've said a word. Well, I hope you had a good first impression of me, but <laughs> anyway. Well, um, I had a good impression because of your name. So I knew ah, very good. I, yes. I, I knew everything was good. Yes, yes, yes. So I want to ask you, I want to drill into this a little further because it is something so prevalent. And I know, you know, in your bio, et cetera, that it's sort of a known phenomenon or discussed um, that it's almost a pastime in Australia. And 
it's not really discussed in America as something that takes place, even though it's obviously quite prominent all over people's trying to cut someone down. Um, you know, why do you think it sort of had been not addressed as a cultural phenomenon or a collective phenomenon in the U S as much as some of these other countries? Well, as I mentioned, I, I'm a, a physician and I actually did a lot of research in, in, in my professional career. And so the first, uh, so I had the very same question that you had. Um, it's when it happened to me, it was an, an Australian, I was actually going to go to Australia on a six week sabbatical. I was running a prominent spinal cord injury unit and I was going over the, and I was president of our American spinal injury association at that mm-hmm. time. I was going to, Australia to, they had six main centers and I was going to spend a week at each one. And I had this incident at our hospital and, and, um, the best way that I could remedy this situation was just to resign rather Mm -hmm. than get into a pissing contest and fight and try and get my office back and the things that they had done to me. So I called them up and told uh, the people in Australia, I wasn't coming. And they said, my, my goodness, you've been tall poppy. And I said, what? Mm. And they said, you've been tall poppy. Well, that, that term was so foreign to me, I couldn't wrap my head and my arms around it at that time. So I said, okay, good, thanks. <laughs> and, and then I spent you know, so time thinking about it and wondering what, what had happened to me and what it all meant. And then when finally when I retired, then I could really put some time and energy into it. So I spent a year in the library just doing research on the tall poppy syndrome and looking for it in in countries, all countries, all periods of time. And lo and behold, I found it in every country in every period of time, except for one place, America. And I started taking the L.A. Times, the New York Times, Time Magazine, Wall Street Journals, a lot of periodicals and newspapers and looking for now that I knew, I mean, I was had become very well versed in in the syndrome and other cultures. And, you know, we need to discuss Scandinavia in a minute, too. Don't let me forget that. But anyway, looking at various cultures and finding it everywhere but here. So my original premise, and I set set the book up actually in my own head as a study, an observational study, which is the way psychologists, I mean, you know, when you go to Africa, you just observe the apes. It's not, you you know, it's not a designed experience. You observe human behavior. So I set it up more as a observational, observational paper rather than the bench research paper that I was used to doing. And my premise for the, you have to have a premise, and my premise for the paper was that our individualism had prevented the tall poppy syndrome in America. And I, and in looking back, I think that was true. I mean, it's always present. I mean, the M, you know, that's the M, when you look at society, I mean, the emotions of the Greeks were the same 
2,000 years ago as the emotion in the Greeks today. And those same emotions are universal. They're the same in the Greek as they are in the Roman as they are in the American. So overall, human emotions have not evolved or changed over the years. We've identified more. But what I, what I now say are the seven deadly sins, that was Aristotle who described most everything I think that's important in life. Aristotle also had the cardinal virtues, which were to oppose the bad emotions that were present. And I've taken these seven deadly sins, which is a Catholic term. Uh, they have seven virtues to also oppose these seven deadly sins. And strangely enough, you know, I found all, I found uh, the three which I mentioned: pride, lust, and greed. Those are part of the seven deadly sins in the tall poppy, and the greed, and the envy, anger, and laziness are found in the cutter. So the only seven deadly sin that I didn't find was gluttony. I mean, we have gluttony in America, but it's not causing anybody major harm except the person themselves. So these basic emotions have been found everywhere. Uh, and I should have realized early on that it was going to be in America. But our constitutional republic was set up, and Jefferson was big on this, was that the individual counted and he had the right to pursue happiness and so america was the country of abundance and there was plenty of land for everybody and plenty of room to grow for everybody plenty of abundance to pursue your happiness and through our history i feel that's changed and so then when i started studying america i found that I thought America was worse than all the countries I um, studied. And this includes the Scandinavian countries, and this inc includes Australia, which, as you mentioned, it's a cultural pastime there. Australia was founded as a penal colony for England. And in the prison system, right, everybody's equal. So that culture has permeated their society from its very founding. And in polls, they are the most envious country, according to polls, the, one of the few polls. So that's why it's so prevalent there. But the Scandinavians have their own issues with their form of egalitarianism, and they actually have the law of Jante, J-A-N-T-E. It's 10 commandments of how not to grow tall. And that's pervasive in their family and in the small villages where the whole town tries to keep anybody from growing too big. So both of those cultures, um, it's rampant and it's very easy to study them. Uh, but in America it was completely different. But in the end, I felt that our own meritocracy and our climbing the ladder in our businesses was a big source of the tall poppy syndrome but it went unrecognized. I mean, all we had that I have found went back to Davy Crockett. And he had said, uh, as when he was a politician, that uh, Jackson, Andrew Jackson was too big for his britches, which is what was happening at that time as he was moving on to in Congress to become <clears throat> president. But 
I had to reverse my thinking that our meritocracy and our individualism somehow got changed to being uh, the right for everyone to pursue happiness, that somehow it became selfish. We all became more selfish and politics uh, became the premier thing in America. And the politicians are the worst cutters and our government's the worst cutters. All our, as far as I'm personally concerned, what I call the three-letter government, all our agencies, whether it's the IRS, the Justice Department, the FBI, uh, these are cutters of our own people. And, of course, if you look at the politicians, they cut each other down. Instead of saying, uh, he's really a good candidate, but my qualifications, I think, are better, they yeah. just cut the other person down. <clears throat> so when, we look, when I look at the newspaper daily, all I see are examples of the tall poppy syndrome. Uh, either from egregious activity of the public person or the bad envy of the peer-to-peer. -peer. And it, for me personally, it's very disappointing to see this in our society. Now, the whole thing that I want your listeners to remember, there's two things in medicine that were very important to my head and thinking all this through. In medicine, the first thing you have to be able to do is diagnose the problem. You can't cure something if you haven't diagnosed it. So the first thing in America, I mean, it's unrecognized here. I mean, as you know, we, we experience it, but we, it seems part of life and we don't have a label on it. Unless we have a label on it, we, have, we can't cure it. So that was actually then I was so disappointed in my findings, but I, I wrote the book with the idea of, introducing the concept to America and to be able to show people their behavior. And for a self-reflection, it's really, if you look at some of the reviews of the book are very intelligent, they, they tell you that it's a self-improvement book, which it is. You're looking at society, but you're also looking in the mirror at your own type of behavior. So I'm very conscious myself of how I look at my own family now and my own kids and my own grandkids and how I try not to be so equal or try would think of cutting something down. But trust me, in the family, there's a lot of familial envy and wanting to cut each other down. So um, the concept here is really to tell America there is a problem, there is a syndrome, this is what we're doing. And then how you can change yourself and the behavior of others. You, you can't cure a bully if you never call him out. Everybody knows a bully. But unless that bully gets called out, I mean, he may not know he's a bully. You know, that, that begins in early childhood. And they bully their way through grade school. They bully their way through high school. They think, you know, they've, that's gotten them to where they are. So they're going to continue bullying in life unless somebody actually calls them out on it. And they themselves frequently don't even know their own behavior. So if you have kids or you have a wife, you know very well as a male, that you get called out all the time. My biggest fans, but also they weren't enemies, but they were always telling me about my bad behavior. 
So that, yeah. that's your big, that's your, I have two daughters and they, I learned a lot from my two daughters. They, you know, they were always calling me out for something they didn't agree with or something that they didn't think was right in step with society or their friends. Yeah. So that that's what that's what the book really is about is identification of a problem that we actually are aware of, but we don't have a label for it. So it's just as you you kind of been aware of it, but you didn't know it was the tall poppy syndrome. Most of the people mm-hmm. um, are aware that something's not right, but they don't know what it is, so they they just go along with it. Yeah. So you need to look at yourself, for example, if you if you got passed over for a position in your company, it's not to get mad at the other person and to try and degrade them. It's to look at yourself and, well, maybe that person did have better qualities than I do. You know, it's really a self-reflection as much as judgment on that other person and to figure out how you can improve yourself and get the position the next time a new one comes open. And we don't think like that. You know, we, we already go on defense and get ready for a fight. And that's not the way we should handle things. All right, Doug, a number of things I, ha- I have to ask about. Um, so governments, we'll, we'll talk about governments for a second. Governments are essentially, by what you're saying, trying to maintain a status quo. Because if too many people are pushing the needle, everything needs to keep changing, evolving, progressing. So I get that to a point that obviously governments want to, because that's also how they maintain power and control if everything stays the same. The opposite side, though, is we are designed as individuals to continue growing and expanding, healing, moving forward, etc. So you have sort of opposites in some ways but then you also have human nature and the human nature is if i'm carrying around shame low self-esteem uh you know feel small for whatever reason didn't get whatever from your parents or whatever it might be i mean it's it's human nature to carry you know we're not perfect right so we're all not walking around feeling wonderful about ourselves and therefore when we see someone with something we get angry, we get envious, jealous, we want to tear them down, you know, et cetera. And often people don't even recognize that that's what they're doing. Um, there was someone, um, the quote was something along the lines of more, you know, because usually your family, the people around you closest that quote unquote love you will dis- has, have destroyed more dreams than any stranger. Amen, you know, people, I agree. No, I agree. So, so people around you, you know, maybe think that they have your best interest and sometimes they might, but again, if they're suffering from shame, you know, feeling small, et cetera, they want to keep you, you know, pe- my experience is people want to keep you as they know you or as they ex- have experienced you in the past. So if you're moving forward, you're leaving them behind. Um, but additionally, like, isn't there something sort of built into us in in a primal sort of way of sort of a tribal type of thing is, you know, we all work together within this tribe for, you know, for a lack of better word. But if you're stepping and doing things outside of the norm, that disrupts the norm, obviously. 
So it seems like we're fighting against sort of the primal brain. Uh, and then we're fighting against human nature that wants to keep people stuck, if you will. Um, but it just seems so, and, and I never heard the term before, so I didn't know it was a collective thing that we all suffered from, but we all do to whatever uh, extent. But for instance, I heard, um, you know, Serena Williams, the great tennis player is retiring soon. And she's considered the greatest female tennis player of all time. And so some um, woman commentator said, nah, she's really not. You know, it's just because she's, you know, playing easier uh, opponents. You know, this this era is much easier. And so here's an example of Tall Poppy that someone is essentially just trying to diminish her with some kind of obscure reference to the past that, oh, there were better players way back when, when I played or whatever it might have been. So it's so commonplace. So it just, it seems like we're fighting human nature because again, a lot of people are walking around not feeling great about themselves for whatever reason, you know. Um, Obviously, if you're feeling secure in your own life, you don't need to tear someone down. But no, you're. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, but that's right. That, so it just seems like there's all these these different battles, and then lastly, we have our own brains, ego, and parts of our brains saying, "No, you don't deserve that. You don't belong in upper echelons. You don't deserve to be standing tall or as an individual. You're you're this and that." So we're fighting our brains, the way the brains are wired, the hardwired stuff, our belief system. Then we have the governments, you know, trying to maintain status quo. It just seems like it's it's a real challenge, obviously, to overcome this because, my goodness, we should all be tall poppies, right? We should all be encouraging, hey, you should do better. You can do better than where you're at, you know, because that's ultimately what human nature is about is is progressing. Well, but but I I mean, your assessment's completely right. That's why I mentioned early on that the emotions haven't changed from ancient Greece to today, that, that hard wiring. But you can control them. The, the problem is, uh, I, I mean, I think the bad behavior of, of uh, our police system right now is not good, for example. I mean, anger is good. So if you look at the positive side, for example, of anger, anger makes you more focused. Mm -hmm. So actually, so you were talking about Serena Williams. There's two points there that are worth looking at. One is she does get that rap uh, of she played with a lot of weaker players. I mean, she's dominated the sport for 20 years. So I completely understand why some fool would say that, but really... When you understand emotions, just as I was mentioned, we don't even, most people don't even understand the difference between jealousy and envy. So how are they going to make a proper judgment? How are they going to improve themselves? And I'm all about self-improvement. Uh, so first of all, that person that said that just made this big L sign on their forehead to me that they're really a loser, you know, that they would make such a statement and try and cut her down when all they have to do is watch her play once yeah. and see how really talented she was. The second thing about, so uh, the, the anger, the, 
the the positive thing, even Serena Williams, through all her struggles of, I think, with her father and with racism and just mm -hmm. the competition and everything, she she was able to focus that anger uh, and make her a better person. So we uh, we we need, you know, there was a book. Goldman in the 90s came out with emotional intelligence and it lasted for about 10 years only sadly to me because that was a hugely important concept to was yeah. emotional yeah. intelligence more important than IQ intelligence yes. and as yeah. far as I'm personally concerned emotional intelligence is more important than mm -hmm. IQ intelligence the IQ actually is you know the in the emotional system, the motion is the brainstem. If we remember, we didn't come from apes. We came from lizards. We came from reptiles. They don't have a cortex. They just have a brainstem system, and they use everything by smell and taste and lust. That you know, and everything's short-circuited. They learn from that. You know, they learn from smell what's good and bad, and as we evolved as human beings, the cortex uh, began to develop. And one of its jobs is to control the emotions. The problem is, you know, if you have bad anger, you, there's a system that you can short circuit and skip the brain. And that's, a, I don't mm -hmm. go into that. It became too hard to describe and became a big part of the book. But there is emotional control and we don't have we don't have emotional control. I mean, John McEnroe, who was a great sportsman and tennis player. I mean, he lacked. I mean, he lacked uh, the emotional control back when he's playing. And I'm sure now that when he looks back, I mean, I've heard him make statements. Oh, that was awful. And and it was like, you know, dude, you need to get your act together. You can't behave like that. But back then, it was hard for him to do that. But there is. That's what the in Catholicism the virtues are all about, and you know the Bible, um, the Bible is full of the tall poppy syndrome. I mean, Adam and Eve, the, the very first page almost after the creation, Adam and Eve, uh, Eve actually. This is for me, and this is my own madness. Uh, Eve, which is very women traditionally aren't prideful. And here we are stepping into the Bible originally, and we have a woman who is prideful, and she um, cons Adam into eating the apple with her, and they both get cast out. And so God cut both of them down for their bad behavior. And I already mentioned a few pages later, you have familial envy, but the whole Bible is full of the tall poppy syndrome. Once you get the concept, and um, I mean, you know, you had the Ten Commandments, you had everything, you know, that whole book was a struggle, as far as I'm concerned, of controlling emotions. And it's a wonderful study of emotions. But, you know, they just, it, it just seems to be easier to be bad than good. And that's the that's our problem. That that's human nature that you're talking about. 
But I don't think it has to be like that. And I think America wasn't, of course, we have those emotions early on. But I definitely, in doing my study of all the countries and even in America, you know, we've changed dramatically as for the worse. And we don't have that abundance feeling and that uh, I'm good, I'll, I'll help you, you know, I'll mentor you. Uh, you know, mentorship is lagging. We talk about schools or finding, you know, people to help uh, bring somebody up. I mean, my whole career was based on mentorship, finding people better than me. But I also found plenty of people who believed in me and wanted to help me. I mean, I couldn't have been a scientific writer without yeah. two very important people. They taught me the scientific way. And I think that's lacking in our society now. We, we just, uh, we, we have this, you, you know, my whole career was delayed gratification. I went to postgraduate school longer than I went to grade school and high school. I spent 14 years in, after mm. graduating, which is delayed gratification is really to a certain extent controlling your emotions to get through all that education to eventually I didn't start my practice till 33. Not wow. I was 33 years of age. And so we don't have, you know, goodness and excellence takes um, time and emotional control. And we just seem to have an immediacy, which is driven, which we haven't even talked about the Internet, which the main currency of the Internet is bad envy. Yeah. But we, ju we just don't have the wherewithal, it seems to me, to build foundations and to build the tall poppy. We just want to cut the pop anybody that's done that. I mean, look at Elon Musk. He, you know, he has as many detractors as as he does heroes. And <clears throat> that that's the problem. I mean, when, you know, when we when I look back, if we look at the robber barons, in the 1800s, they they were terrible people, but it's still a big question. You know, was Rockefeller really good for American society? And I have to say, he was. And the same with Vanderbilt. Um, the same with um, Carnegie. I mean, they they were hard on their workers. They you know they didn't pay them enough, but. Uh, in the end, they did a lot of good for humanity and they did a lot of good for our country. So we have to be very careful on evaluating people. N nobody's perfect. So we shouldn't look for things that don't count and cut people down when they're doing themselves good and society good. You know, the thing about, I was actually going to bring up Elon Musk, but, you know, the curious thing is, he can't make a move without someone recording it. He can't say anything without, you know, you know what? It's like a different world, obviously, than Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt was very exclusive. And, you know, if he gave you an interview, that's one thing, but that would be the extent of it. Um, you didn't have the paparazzi like you do now uh, tracking someone's every move. And I agree, the, the internet and social media can be very damaging. You can feel very powerless or this false false reality of everyone's perfect on the other hand and, and why aren't you um but it's just such a mishmash right it's just this maelstrom of chaos um 
coming at you and, and you could be on it and find things that are obviously <clears throat> encouraging, you know, uplifting. But if you just say get on a, a platform, it's just random chaos, which the brain really doesn't know how to process. You have a cat video, then you have some political thing, you then you have some extreme this and that. And and it's it's not the brain seeking that, right? We're not like going, oh, give me chaos. Um, but we are seeking stimulation. So to get back to what you were saying about education, this is something that I struggle with also is that there's we're lacking in interconnectedness um, because people, we all do need each other. We all need, we, we can't achieve things alone for the most part. We do need allies. Uh, and I feel like that's a, a real disservice in that, you know, you growing up, I think EQ is more important than IQ because if your EQ is really suffering as you become an adult, you can have the best mind and you're not going to go anywhere because if you're suffering from EQ uh, or, or the emotions, you're not going to be accomplishing much in life because they're going to be holding you back. But I really wish we we created more of an interconnected, almost you know, an indigenous type of approach that we all are in this together instead of at odds trying to strip other people of whatever. Um, and we really have the opportunity when kids are, when people are young to really develop this idea um, of we are in this together, but this, this obviously encourages tall poppies to get back to the Serena Williams comment from the, uh, the commentator, like it did make me wonder, well, is it a racist comment? Is it because she's black? Is it, be, you know, well, like, what is she trying to accomplish here by making this comment? Oh, she's not the greatest ever. Okay, well, she's living and working, playing in this era. So she's the greatest in this era. You know, uh, she has the most wins. Therefore, she probably is the greatest of all times. Like, that's all you can go by. Um, but I just feel like, you know, we're all, like I said, ideally, we want things in place through education, through governance, civic duties to raise the populace, right? The the rising tide lifts all ships. And I think that's a similar idea that we all need to sort of embrace because if we're just fighting each other and tearing each other down, well, we all lose. Um, there's one point. Uh, we do the the tall poppies that are the public tall pop. I mean, there's so many tall poppies that we don't recognize. That that's one of the the problems that I realized um, when I was doing this ten year study. But papers do, you know, Time Magazine or or wall street journal or the investors business daily they do have tall poppies of people that change the business world for example and it's amazing how you don't know the majority of those people and what the, i think that's the reason the people are passing judgment on the serena williams it's to a certain extent i mean the media are guilty of this to sell papers Sure. They they do these hyperboles. I'm so tired of 
Tom Brady and to mm-hmm. a certain extent Serena Williams. This this whole GOAT concept, greatest yeah. of all sure. time. I mean, I hate that concept. Um, and, and, you know, so I think some of the people's reactions to include this person about Serena could have just felt the same way I felt enough already. You know, we don't need the greatest of all times. Let's just say she was the greatest player of the last two decades or something. But Mm -hmm. even that I have difficulty putting that ultimate pin on, on some particular individual. Sure. I, I think some of that once again is a, is the way all cutters behave is they're biased and wanting to cut people down. Uh, You you know, it's the same with LeBron James and Michael Jordan. And for for me, you had Bill Russell who had 11 championships rings. So if if somebody wanted to say to me, who was the greatest of all time, I would have to say he was because he had the, he had more rings than he had fingers, but he's never, he's never in the discussion. Yeah. So I mean it really is a modern era uh right. comment, right? Yeah, I mean it's a media driven selling and internet experience and is it the, the the problem with the internet we do love bad news. I mean uh, when I looked at the tabloids in Hollywood, you know, that's how that's how they make their living is the bad the bad news, you know. It sells. It, Drama sells. Right. So there, there, there is, um, there is reason for that, but you know, the problem with our, what was my self gratification or the delayed gratification. Now we just want, as soon as we see something on the internet, we, we, you know, we make that judgment right away and hopefully it's bad because that's really going to make us feel good. And so those bad events are usually what becomes viral. That's why I yeah. said that. It's that that's bad envy, and that's what really drives the internet. I mean, that kid from Covington High School in Kentucky with the uh, thing in DC with the Indian that they just took the last portion of the tape uh, and put that on the internet, you know. And so here's this young kid was castigated by society when, in effect, when the whole tape came out, you know, the the adult person had confronted him initially. And, but what was posted on the internet was just the last clip, which was very derogatory. And then he became condemned. But in fact, he had really uh, good mature acting early on, but that didn't get recognized. Yeah. If you, you can take anything out of, out of context and kind of twist it around, but. Yeah. Um, we, we Yeah. We need to throttle back. We need to, take five before we pass all these judgments on people it's like there's no um there's no monitors in the uh no bus monitors on the bus <laughs> or something like that well you uh used you alluded to something earlier which i wanted to expand on and tell the public about and covid is a very good thing to discuss because you know in medicine we've been um We've been dealing with vaccinations for a hundred years. If there's one thing we know a lot about is vaccinations. But what's got lost, and you alluded to it, was there is a public concern, which is the government's role, 
versus the private individual. And both of those don't always meet. But for example, the public policy of people having COVID, a vaccination, uh, that's a good concept. But there is an individual who is 20 years old and he has a legitimate right to say, you know, I'm not gonna die from it. I'm isolated, I'm, I'm a farmer. I'm not in contact with anybody. Why should I be vaccinated? So there are, there are two poles. The problem, I think, with once again government, we become they become a little more dictatorial, and not explaining public policy versus individualism, and just saying you need to do this. And in a, in a, I will say this about America: when you say you need to do this or you have to do this in America, that never works. That is our. That is our culture. That well, what is happens culture. with a child when you say, child, you must do this right now? The child rebels, says, no, right. I don't right. want to. Right. Same, so same that, that, that is part of our individualism. And that, that, that just doesn't work for us. Well, I think also long ago, let's say 100 years ago, um, you know, you had more trust in the government. You know, everything wasn't politicized. You obviously didn't have social media. You didn't have rampant, quote unquote, news agencies all over the place. Yeah, you know, some basic newspapers. Um, and I think there was more trust. Obviously, that's eroded. I think what Congress has a 4% approval rate or something like that. Um, so that's really eroded. Uh, even their motives behind things has really been eroded as far as, is it corrupt? You know, who's really influencing it? Um, but I, I have a couple more questions uh, for you, Doug, well, and then, I, then I'm going to let you go. Can I mention trust once? Of course, before you of course. Well, you're absolutely right. That's why government now is cutting because they're not trustful mm. and, and they are dictating. And so when I did, uh, studied the Scandinavian countries, uh, you know, first of all, they're small, 20 million people, for example. That's where I lived in L.A., 20 million people. Uh -huh. So you have a whole country and they're homogeneous. So and the same with Japan, which is a very egalitarian country. So, you know, you always hear these happiness studies and this and that. But what comes out mostly when I looked at, at it and what makes those societies work is the trust in the government. And once again, the public policy uh, for them is very easy to set because it's a homogeneous society and they have trust uh, that they're not helping one person over the next because they're all pretty equal. So that is a key point and the government needs to work on trust because of all things that's killing us, it's, it's their they're bad behavior as far as I'm concerned, and we've lost trust in them. And that's tearing our country apart. Uh, a few years ago, I'd read, uh, and I can't remember the name of the book, uh, a Malcolm Gladwell book, and he was discussing laws. And he said, you know, once you start seeing laws eroding and you no longer have faith in the, the um, leaders upholding the laws, the leaders are sort of, and people have lost faith in, in that institution. The leaders are essentially left with two choices. One is to suppress and become more dictatorship, dictatorial, 
or the other is to change and evolve and make right. But what typically happens, and I'm probably paraphrasing incorrectly, is the opposite, is that dictatorial approach because the people in power want to maintain that. But Yeah, well, so, I think that's what's happening. I agree with him. I actually liked all his books and was going to try and write one like him, but I couldn't do it. That's why he, who is, <laughs> he is who he is and I is who I is. But, <laughs> Good but, English. But that's 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 what the government's doing, and that's why I think they're our biggest cutters now because of that. Mm -hmm. They're just dictating and cutting people down rather than yeah. changing their own behavior, which the public all recognizes is not right. But yeah. they haven't figured that out yet, or they don't want to figure it out, or they don't care. No, as right. they as they centralize power. So a couple other quick things, and then something stuck with me while you were speaking earlier about the Bible. So Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Is, I wanted to talk about that, is, so but I wasn't yeah. going to let us go without that. So is the joy from someone's pain. And again, it's just these silly things. Uh, um, like you watch someone get hit in the groin, people laugh. Someone flips over backwards and they do it wrong and they get hurt. Like people ride a bicycle into a tree. Like people seem to find this hysterical. Fall down, Falling downstairs. Um, ha, ha, ha. Like... Well, I I don't find that funny, but it seems almost hardwired into people to see someone else get injured or harmed, and that it's somehow amusing. And as a kid, it was amusing, but I don't find it amusing now. No, I'm with you. I'm I'm just the opposite of that. But I do. I think there is a so. The Schadenfreude is driven by bad envy. So when you do the Schaden, when the psychiatrist or the psych, social psychologist, it's their field, when they do the study of uh, Schadenfreude, uh, it lights up in the same uh, envy, which is bad envy center that that the tall poppy syndrome lights up in, and and it's driven also by bad envy. And you're right, it's kind of a you do it as a kid is uh, it's kind of an immature thing, but I think as you grow up, just as you've identified, you you grow out of that. But I I always I think I m might have even put it in my book that our 405 freeway, for example, um, was one of the busiest freeways in L.A. And you know you'd be drive driving the work, which is stop and go, and you've always got some idiot weaving in and out and, you know, disrupting the flow of traffic and just every, you see the brake lights going on ahead of you, you know, where he is exactly. And then soon, you know, two or three miles down the way, you see the guy pulled over to the side either by a policeman or he's been in a little fender bender. And that gives you good schadenfreude. If that happens to you, it's probably going to be the only day of the week that you're going to have a good day at work because you went to work in a positive, good feel moment. So I, I do think there can be, uh, there is a good schadenfreude because in the old days, Hollywood was driven by schadenfreude. You went to the movie and you saw the guy in the black hat get shot and the guy in the white hat shot him down because of his bad behavior. And so justice was served yeah. and you left the movie theater feeling well. So if you look at, I mean, Frank Capra, 
I, um, and actually, I love uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. Uh, those All those movies are based on schadenfreude. And so there, to a certain extent, I mean, envy is also part of it, as I mentioned, is the bad envy. But envy is inclusive in the justification, which is why I keep talking about that, that envy is so important in the tall poppy syndrome because we're justifying cutting down the tall poppies. And in all the movie industry, even though most people don't even know that term as well, the schadenfreude, schadenfreude has driven the movie industry on uh, on movies and making people feel good from the very beginning. Hmm. And so you see, you go to a movie, uh, I mean, the, the Wonderful Life is a good example of Jimmy Stewart and Mr. Potter wanting to cut him down. And, you know, he loses the money and his piece almost loses the bank. And then all the people come together and give him five and ten dollars and they keep the company afloat. So it's just it's a it's that positive negative envy and 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 making a good judgment. And Mr. Potter got cut down deservedly. So so that even schadenfreude does have a good part. But that's the. Schadenfreude was actually my twist on the tall poppy syndrome because when somebody does get cut down, then they do experience schadenfreude, and it's part of the bad envy, but it's the justification component of it, of whether the person deserved to be cut down. And if they did, you leave the movie theater feeling very well. But also, I I would add, the Jimmy Stewart character only overcame when everyone supported him and came to his, meaning the interconnectedness, they all had to sort of rally together to overcome the the potters of the world. All that's true. I agree with that as well. But they, it was like they woke up to, Mm -hmm. to Mr. Potter too. It's like me telling you we have to identify the tall poppy syndrome before it's cured and to a certain extent uh they realized that jimmy they needed jimmy stewart and that mr potter wasn't necessarily good good for him he was going to plow their their poppies over right um question for you and i could be totally off base uh i'm not religious i didn't really grow up with religion or you know here and there but um you had mentioned the bible earlier adam and eve uh, Eve, you know, I think picked the apple, was told not to pick the apple. She just wanted something healthy. Um, no, she wanted to be equal to God. She could, they could do everything. They had the rule of thing, but the only rule was, was they couldn't pick the fruit and be equal to God. That's what I wanted to ask you is, and I could be overstepping my bounds and I may be just putting my foot in my mouth is the Bible making in 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 regard to tall poppy syndrome god is the tall poppy meaning untouchable tall poppy and any character within it who goes outside of this sort of realm of obeying god and being the individual or making their own choices or decisions gets cut down because god is the ultimate tall poppy that you cannot compare yourself to. Is that well, I gone too far? 
well, I think that's a bigger question than both of us, but I, I understand where you're going. But, and you don't, um, you have to know a little bit about the Bible. Moses, when, I mean, the whole thing with the Bible for me is that I'm a little more religious than you, but um, the whole Bible is driven by emotion and the people on it. So, you know, when you look at society, uh, I mean, back societies were often driven by people, the ancient, uh, I mean, Alexander the Great, Caesar, Kublai Khan, the first emperor of China. I mean, all these people I have in, in, in the book because emotionally they're so strong and the strong emotional people drive society. Uh, but the Bible is also driven uh, mostly by characters, not events. So, I mean, our events now, our societies become more complex. So it's very hard for an individual to drive a society now. And so it's events that are driving society, World War II, world, um, the Ukraine invasion now. So, but back then it was... Uh, the personalities of people and the people, the personalities in the Bible are so strong. It's such a great study of emotions. And if you do have a tall poppy back then, uh, then I would argue uh, who's going to be able to cut that tall poppy down. Uh, and it could only be God. But mm -hmm. for example, Moses is one of the premier characters in the Bible. And he, too, in the end, was cut down by God because of his egregious behavior. He didn't get to go into the promised land. So you had a gentleman who, you know, for almost the entire career was, was a true tall poppy and a leader. But towards the end, he, he failed God's judgment and God didn't let him go into the promised land. But I, I'm not, I don't dig into bigger questions like you do. I just study the emotions and what's happening in the moment. And I can tell you, uh, if you want to study emotions, the Bible's a good place to go because it's chock full. Doug, this has been such a, a fascinating conversation. Uh, you can find Douglas Garland, uh, his book, The Tall Poppy Syndrome, The Joy of Cutting Others Down on Amazon. Uh, and you can find uh, him also his website, DougGarland.com, D-O-U-G-G-A-R-L-A-N-D.com. Uh, Any uh, closing comments, my friend? No, I think we covered. I, I wanted the MV jealousy. I wanted the schadenfreude, the break the two concepts down between public and peer-to-peer. And, you know, the whole thing, when I started the tall poppy syndrome, I used to, I like to hike, so I would hike with different people and discuss concepts with it. And one of the real turning points was uh, I was talking about being cut down. He said, well, you can't be the tall poppy syndrome. You, were, you, were, you weren't that tall. So it's kind of like cutting Serena Williams down. I'm not tall like her, but, but that's how, I mean, it was good to get that concept that that you have to just get the emotional feel for the metaphor and then you can understand society. And I mentioned the six, if you just remember the deadly seven sins, uh, it, I'm telling you, you're, 
listeners will always be able to evaluate a peer-to-peer thing or a public thing or a governmental thing now if they just remember our discussion and those seven deadly sins. And it helps them to, in their emotional intelligence and to improve their own behavior. It's curious because, you know, when you're young, you, you develop, you know, most friendships that, you know, will, will possibly last your lifetime. And it's curious when someone says to you, oh, you've really changed, right? In a way, it's saying, who are you now? You're not the same anymore. You should stop with the change. Come back to the familiar. Um and it's such a curious comment because, well, of course I've changed. If I haven't changed, I'm living the same life that I was 20 years ago. So I should change. We should all be changing in the right ways. So I, I agree. Amen. We, we want good change. Doug, uh, exactly. been, sorry, go ahead now. No, I see you're exactly right. Change is good and you shouldn't be the same. I mean, I was in Vietnam and, and you know, I don't even know, you know, such a, I was a mass surgeon on the DMZ mm. and I don't even know that individual, you know, I'd like to right. be able to know who he was or, you know, everybody asked me, well, what was it like? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who I was like, yeah. you know, I just know the changes that I've made since I was that person back there 50 years ago. Yeah. So we, we want change and, and hopefully I'm a way better person than I was back then. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to even remember who we were and when and why we thought certain things. And um, anyway, that's the beauty, I guess, and or the, the, the curse of, of change and of developing because sometimes like, oh, I lost that piece. I want to find that piece again. Yeah, no, that's true. It's good to see an old friend and and see, yeah, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, if he had thing on that same vein, which I'd like to tell practices. I was recruited to both of them, and the second practice was was uh, there were three alpha males who were were. Um, running the practice. There were eight of us in it, but those three gentlemen, and they were tall poppies. They deserve their accolades, but it was very hard to practice with them because they made all the decisions. I was with a fellow yeah. student time at a meeting having lunch, and he said, well, how things are going? And I said, well, how do you think they're going? I'm practicing with three alpha males. And he looks at me and he goes, well, I don't see why that's a problem. And I go, well, how's that? And he says, well, you're one too. You just hide it better than they do. And, you know, that was a huge turning point. It was like me telling you about calling a bully out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when he said that to me, it turned a light on and I looked very differently at myself from that point on and how I behaved and, you know, yeah. to, to everything. So uh, we do need old friends now and then to tell us what we were like or what they liked about the old us, even though we're changing, sometimes yeah. not always for the better. Yeah, yeah. The mirror of life. Uh, Doug Garland, it's been such a pleasure. Been my pleasure, Doug. You have a great day. Same to you.
Thank you for listening to The Douglas Robbins Show. To find out more about Douglas and his books, check out douglasrobbinsauthor.com.